We have uh, a couple more portions, including today, from this series, Stuck in the Same Story, Breaking Free from the Difficult and Harmful Patterns that Prevent Us from Experiencing the Fullness of Christ. Uh, today, being honest when your structures are not, and uh, I won't be here next week. Um, that should have been part of the announcements, too. Uh, we are having our Music Sunday, and it's going to be a good time of celebration and worship. And um, Susan and Julia are going to lead that, and so uh, we're looking forward to that next Sunday. Um, I'm going to be at my um, the church I grew up in at Hosensack, Pennsylvania, uh, for our 125th anniversary celebration. And so I'm be really glad to be part of that. So we'll be back in two weeks, and then we'll wrap up this series with establishing new life-changing patterns to kind of put into practice what we've learned about the various things that, that get us stuck in our lives and how we can move beyond it. And there's a really great passage there from uh, 1 Peter chapter 2 that is a good, a good blueprint for that. <clears throat> So today, staying honest when your structures are not. The Christian walk is a journey that includes struggle, battle, betrayal, disappointment, hardship, and loss. The cunning and deceptive tactics of the enemy will try to convince you that there are easier, pain-free paths you can take. This is a lie. And this is exactly where our greatest battles are staged, to trust God in the middle of your pain. Twin Pines Camp, a few decades ago, I was at summer camp leading the group that stays down in the woods in the platform tents. I think it was still called Mountainside then, but maybe it was after the switch. I don't remember, but <laughs> to, uh, on the edge camp. And as it still happens to this day, at the camp there are sometimes multiple programs happening simultaneously during the week. And so there are different directors for each one and different staff members assigned to those programs. And so I was having a great time with... Um, learning uh, the kids' names in my group and having their activities for them. And um, I, I was a lot younger, so we used to stay up late and do a lot of stuff in the middle of the night and uh, have some really crazy things going on all week. And, and I enjoyed that. And one of the things that happened during that week was um, it, it was a minor little thing. We needed brooms to, to clean our, our tents. They, they have platforms and they get dirty and so we just wanted some brooms. And so I had asked a few times, hey, can we have some brooms down here? And it didn't happen. I didn't ask the right person or whatever. And it was getting mildly annoying. So about middle of the week, um, I told the staff members, the summer staff members, just go find some brooms. I don't care where you get them. Now, that wasn't the right thing to say to those particular staff members because they made it a covert action. And they pretty much took all the brooms from all the cabins and brought them down the mountainside. And I thought it was kind of funny, but the director of the base camp didn't think that was funny. 
And, and, and the kids were getting freaked out because they thought they were a stranger stalking the camp taking brooms. And I don't know why a stranger would do that. But <laughs> and this somewhat harmless little prank turned into an angry confrontation between me and the director of, of the base camp program that week. And my instinct was, oh, come on. It's just, it's no big deal. It's, no one's hurt by this. Come on, it's camp life. It's, it, but I swallowed that instinct. And, and I apologized because it, it was, I, I started it. it the, the, the staff members that took the brooms, maybe they took a little too far, but they were doing this at my directive, so it's my responsibility to basically say in that moment, yeah, I was wrong for this. Now, misplacing brooms with the intent of putting them back one day and not you know, breaking anything in the process, that is in and of itself somewhat harmless. But what is harmful is when any kind of a, a misunderstanding or a disagreement gets to the place where, where two friends are severed in their relationship. That's a battle. And by God's grace, I was able to admit my failure, admit where I was wrong, and humbly approach him and say, I'm sorry, and we remain friends. But it was, a, it was a rather intense moment there for, for a day or two there at the camp because of that silly little prank. Small things happened that can have much larger consequences. And that's a battle. Several years after that, I shared a few weeks ago about my... Um, how I worked in other churches as, as, as an associate, uh, actually a couple different churches, and I worked under several different senior pastors. So I'm not going to say which one this was, um, but there was one of them that we, we had a, a, a rocky relationship. We managed to work together pretty well, but um, there was one particular moment where I was at, a, at an official board meeting, which I was always at, answering to the board and, and being in my report. And one of the items I mentioned in my report made my senior pastor angry. And he got angry in front of the whole group and basically called me out and humiliated me in front of everyone. And he... We should have talked about it ahead of time, and that was on him. And um, so I, I was wrong, and I felt embarrassed. And I remember walking back to my office, and his office was just a couple doors down. And the meeting was over. Everyone had gone home, and his light was still on. And in that moment, I had a choice to make. And I said, I'm either going to walk in there knowing he's probably still mad at me, but I was wronged, and I need to say to him, that wasn't right. But I need to say it in love. I need to say it firmly, but not with anger. And that's not an easy thing to do, and anytime any of us have had those moments where something has to be said, 
and you're the one who needs to say it. That should be a prayer-filled moment, and, and thankfully for me, it was. And I was able to go in and, and speak with him, and he didn't want to talk with me, and I, I insisted, gently but firmly, no, we need to talk about this, and we need to talk about it now. And we did, and it was a heated exchange for a while, but I left that room <clears throat> where, we, we left that meeting where, okay, we'll, we can move on. We can put this behind us, and, and, and it was okay. Things got better. Had I not walked into that room, I don't know what would have happened. Those are two examples of battles that I think back during my life that I had to have the right weapons for. I had to have um, the understanding that these battles matter. They matter a lot. Today's passage in, in Ephesians chapter 6 is probably familiar to most of you. The, the armor of God and, and, the, and the battle that we face in this world as, as believers in Jesus. And the places in which these battles are carried out, I think sometimes we we overplay the surface things, the more obvious things. We have a battle against evil, and we think right away about all the evil that's in our world, all the evil that's in our community, all the evil that's out there, and we have to stand up together and fight against it. And, and certainly there are, there, there are times where we need to do that, and that's necessary, but I really believe that the greater battle, the more important battle than the surface things that we see out there, and we call it evil, are the little everyday tests and battles and struggles and moments to say, I was wrong, or moments to say, you wronged me and, and that, wasn't, that wasn't right that you did that. And to say those things with a tone, with an attitude of humility, with a goal of getting things right of leaving those conversations still friends, still close in our relationship as, as relatives or whoever it might be, able to work together in the work setting and all of that. So let's walk through this Ephesians 6 passage quickly today. First of all, the sixth, uh, excuse me, the 10th verse tells us to be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Be strong from the right power source. Being strong for whatever battles that we are facing. These important, seemingly insignificant, even smaller day-to-day -day relational things that we face. You need to have strength not on yourself, not on something less than God. Our strength comes first and foremost in our relationship with God through Christ, accessed by faith. And that is, should, should always be before us. That should be our default setting, if you will, in terms of where I'm drawing my strength from. I am a follower of Jesus, 
and I'm going to follow him right into this situation. I'm going to follow him right into this conversation. I'm going to follow him into something that might even be unknown that I'm not sure about, but I'm going to trust him that he's going to be with me. I'm not going to decide, I know what's better than you, God. I'm going to handle it like this. Or to respond with impulse, to respond with kind of a knee-jerk reaction. Here's what this needs. I'm just going to take care of it. Without pausing enough to be aware that God is with you and he wants you to follow his lead into the situation. But too often, and I've done this, I'll run into the situation and then, come on, Jesus, this is is the way. (laughs) Come on, Jesus, isn't isn't this what I'm supposed to say? I already decided you're going to bless this, aren't you? And that, that's when we make, make mistakes. So let's first of all trust in, in the right power source and then just be ready for battle. It says in the 11th verse that uh, this is a, a struggle because we have to put on armor. Um, as I said in that, in that opening slide, that this walk with, with Jesus, this following the Son of God in this world, belief and faith in Him, it is a struggle. It is not without blessing and joy and peace and all the the aspects of the fruit of the Spirit that come upon us as we follow Him. But if we think that the day is going to arrive where struggle disappears in this life, we're fooling ourselves. We're fooling ourselves greatly. So there's, you know, as Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. So we need to accept that 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 is the reality of our lives, that there is battle, and there will be battle, and those battles will not stop in this world, in this life. And don't let that overwhelm and depress you either, because the battles don't stop if you decide to stop following Jesus. How many people do you see in this world struggle with life? (laughs) long list, right? (laughs) Because life is a struggle. And let's not pretend otherwise. And so to, to accept the fact that you're in a battle, it would be like, like a soldier going into, into a war zone and, and being in denial that, well, there, there's not really any war in this world. No, this was all made up and here they are. And, you know, pretending that it isn't happening as, as bullets fly past and mortar shells explode. And, you know, they have to accept the fact that they're in a battle or they're not going to survive. And so that's part of this, the attitude that we have to take on to draw strength from the Lord, to accept the fact that we're in a battle, to be ready for battle, and then beware of the real enemy. In the 12th verse, it lists um, different aspects of what the enemy is like. Our, our, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. And then it lists three things from this world, and one kind of out of this world, but affects this world. Uh, first of all, worldly rulers, um, leaders. Power is such a 
powerful temptation to abuse. If you're familiar with the temptation of Christ, those temptations, after once the bread got, once he got past the bread, the other temptations both dealt with power. Both dealt with, look, you can make this big, huge display. You jump off the temple and people will, will worship you. They will bow down to you. You can, you can, you can access power the way the world defines power and greatness. Wow, this man jumped off the temple and angels rushed in to save him and dropped him gently to the ground. This must be the son of God. Let's worship him. But then he wouldn't have had time to spend with the downtrodden and the people would have, wouldn't have believed in him as just a regular person that he was and and all the other ways. In other words, Satan was trying to tell Jesus there's an easier path. There's a shortcut here. You don't have to go through all that trouble of living and spending all these time with those downtrodden people, those dirty, smelly disciples. Come on, you really want to hang on with those fishermen? (laughs) And that was all kind of loaded into that temptation. Just jump off the temple. Shortcut. And in the other temptation, you know, the, the power of the whole world can be yours, Jesus. And you know it could. You can rule the world. Ruling is, for that reason, a very enticing temptation. To be in control. To have authority. To have power over other people. If you know even just a little bit about world history, the number of leaders in the world, rulers in the world history, and even in biblical history, who handled it well is a very short list. And the number of leaders and rulers who abused their power, who walked all over others, who used it for oppression, for selfish gain, is a big, long list. So we shouldn't be surprised at that. So the way that one of our enemies is worldly leaders because they are approaching authority in a worldly way. So here's the thing. So we don't just say, well, see, we have to defeat the evil in the world right now and the leaders who are bringing the evil. Look at yourself then. How am I leading in my life? Am I using my authority... Sure, it doesn't compare to being a president or a senator or a congressman or a governor or even a you know, member of the town council or you know, supervisor in the township, etc. It doesn't compare to that, and yet, in a lot of ways, it's even more important because it's what you've been given. Authority in your home, authority perhaps in your job, authority with your community, authority in your church. How are you handling that authority? And is the temptation that the big world leader has to abuse that as authority, it's not that much different than you because it can end up in oppression and avoidance and doing things your own way rather than doing things God's way. So the second word then is authorities, worldly authorities. I'm going to use the word structures here. 
So there is those that lead that set the rules, and then there is those that carry out the rules. So we think most obviously in, in a nation, in a community, you have the laws that are written by those that we elect, and then you have judges and police that carry out to make sure those laws are adhered to. And when they are not, there are lawyers to make sure you do or um, prosecuting attorneys to, to bring criminal charges against you when you don't. We have worldly authorities. If the leader is evil, if the leader's heart is oppressive, then those carrying out his or her desires that affects them as well. And so we have to look out for the structures. You know, for example, um, if, if you lived in a nation right now where it is illegal to own a Bible, let alone worship the Christ who is revealed in the Bible, you can be thrown in jail and abused and even put to death, tortured, for simply having a Bible, for simply proclaiming the name Jesus. So that authority is where their battle is. And here, bring it down to yourself once again. How am I carrying out not just the authority that I have, but also the, the rules that I've been given? Maybe it's in the workplace and you've been asked to do, or there's this expectation that you do something that is unethical. You do something perhaps that is even downright sinful. I'll go ahead and cheat, it doesn't matter. Everybody else is doing it. How many um, police officers are tempted to you know, take bribes or to avoid things, or that kind of thing. Every job has elements in it that we can, again, cut corners, make it easier, don't do it. So that's where the structures in our lives we have to be careful of. And then the third one is powers. I'm going to call this the thing in the air. Powers are subtle but noticeable expectations about what everybody else is doing. Why aren't you? When we're teenagers, they call it peer pressure. Um, did anyone get to their 18th birthday, let's say? And then the next day, peer pressure disappeared. <laughs> like we focus on it during adolescence, and rightly so, but it doesn't stop. There are still expectations, and as adults, they become much more subtle, but you still are supposed to live and act in this way and that way. Some people feel pressure as Christians to not be too outspoken about their faith because that might not be politically correct. That is the thing in the air. That is a power. No one's saying directly that you can't, but because you even perceive that it's not going to be acceptable or it's not going to be received well, well, then I'm not sure I should do this or I'm not sure I want to do this or it'll be very hard to do this. The thing in the air, the, the, the ways that people act. This is also part of the battle that we are in to, again, not compromise 
the right path that Christ has for us and to follow him in saying and doing what we know in our heart to be best, to be right. And not caving in to what the world wants or not pulling back and being afraid to speak up when you should be speaking up. And then the fourth one in the 12th verse is spiritual forces of evil. So the first three are what happened in the authority structures in various ways in our lives in this world. But there is also spiritual forces that came out of this world but have affected this world. And my hint is they don't always look evil. <laughs> Happen to have an apple here today to re remind you to take some home with you and enjoy them. Um, this is the fruit that is usually pictured when someone uh, depicts the temptation of, of Adam and Eve in, in Genesis. And of course, it doesn't say what the fruit was. It just says fruit, but an apple is very enticing. And if you remember that passage, Eve looks at that and she says it, it was pleasing to the eye and it was good for food. It was appealing. Sin is always appealing. The day isn't going to arrive in this world where sin isn't appealing anymore and it looks ugly and yucky. Now, as we grow in Christ, we can get to that place where the things that used to look good and we know weren't good do start to, oh, why did I do that, look disgusting. But and in its, in its, basic, its basic presentation to us, the way in which which the enemy tempts us, is always through something appealing. That looks good. That is, is just one way that, that evil twists the world around to draw us away from the Son of God. And that's always the goal. Christ wants us to follow him in all of our ways. As it says in Proverbs, in all of our ways acknowledge him and he'll direct your paths. So the enemy wants to draw us away from that. And the, when, when temptation is working, then what happens is we become isolated. And that's why the church is so important. That's why the fellowship, the, the, the bond, the connection you have with other believers in Christ and the friendships you have because of Christ that's the core thing. Because of Jesus, we're together. Because of Jesus, we're friends. Because of Jesus, we sing to him. Because of Jesus, we pray. Because of Jesus, we get up on a beautiful Sunday and come here and, and, and learn together and sing together and pray again together. Because of the connection with Jesus. So what the enemy wants to do is disconnect us from Jesus and then disconnect us from one another. And then we are so much more vulnerable because we are isolated. And that's all part of the forces of evil. The forces of evil in this world are not the dramatic, demonic uh, expressions that, that we read about in, in the Gospels or see depicted in horrible ways in movies. I'm not saying that demonic activity doesn't occur, but what I am saying is the enemy doesn't come looking ugly and scary and awful. He comes friendly, 
looking like a beautiful apple, go ahead and take a bite. It's okay. No one will notice. It's okay. It doesn't matter. Ah, you deserve it. All those different ploys used to draw us away from Christ and to isolate us from others. So then we have the the armor that we should wear to to be dressed for battle. And and this is the more familiar part of this passage. Um, First of all, to surround yourself with truth. I think of a belt going around us, of course. And so surround ourselves with truth. Um, Know the Bible. Understand the principles and and, and learn them in deeper and deeper ways. Um, It's said a little while ago in this series how in, in John 1, John describes the Christ as the word and he came to us um, in, in grace and in truth. And so and Jesus says later in John, the, the, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So always seek out what is true. And that's going to help us to be ready for battle, to have truth surrounding us. Walk in peace. Shoes. The places that you walk, the, the protection of, of where your steps take you. This is the only time you see in the scripture this particular phrase, the gospel of peace, fitted with the gospel of peace. And peace is what Jesus promised us. Peace is what he left us with. And he did not give that as the world gives. And so... We can have peace in, in every situation and we need to walk in that peace. So when you are walking into or being confronted by a divisive situation, a, a painful situation between you and someone else or, or other people, a group, whatever it might be, but... Go back to your source of peace, your source of strength. Did you find peace with God in your own life through Jesus? Do you have peace with God through Jesus right now? Be reminded that he came to give you peace. And it's a peace that the world can't give and the world can't take away. So if I, in, in, in my better moments, when I have that emotional moment, when I'm tired and weak already and I'm tired of things happening and here comes something else and I just want to act out in anger or frustration or despair, you know, all wrong choices, but in the moment they feel understandable. If I go back to the peace that, as Paul says, passes all understanding, that's going to help me bring that peace into the situation, to walk with my feet readied with the gospel of peace. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the peacemakers. Bringing peace to others is a gift that we have to share and to be reminded that I have peace because of Jesus in me is always the place to start. Hold up the shield of faith. To, to understand that the, the fiery darts of doubt will come, the fiery doubts, excuse me, fiery darts of fear, the fiery darts of despair, of anger, of hatred, 
all of the ways that, that we know don't work, but when we see the rest of the world functioning that way, it's so quick and easy, and it looks good in the moment to, to want to return anger with anger, hate with hate. If someone dismisses you, you're going to be dismissive to them, and all those temptations. That's all the, the ways that we're... The, the arrows that are being fired at us and without the shield there to put up to stop them, we're going to get hit by something. So the shield of faith says, I'm bigger than that. I'm better than that because of Christ in me. Because of Christ in me. Jesus, help me to be who you created me to be. Help me to be the person that you love, the person that you see as valuable, the person that, that, um, that you died to save. And then the fiery darts can be distinguished and, and, and shielded away from us. Hold up our faith in Jesus. And then think about salvation. That's our helmet, our thoughts, what's covering our mind. Salvation. Again, each of these comes back to the core, comes back to that basic decision and ongoing decision to be a follower of Jesus. And so, what have I been saved from? Depending on the circumstances of when you first believed in Jesus, you might have been... um, impacted by certain things in your life at that time, whenever it was. And, and that's what drew you to him. But it's ongoing, isn't it? And I also think about, had I not chosen Jesus, and if I did not continue to, to follow Jesus, what are the outcomes that I've been saved from? I know that I, for example, um, have an... an an addictive personality in me that if I, uh, if I let that go, if I don't guard that, if I don't hold up the shield of faith against that, I can be Im- Im- impacted by addiction. Now, I'm thankful that I've never had one, um, especially a substance addiction, but I know had I not followed Jesus, I would have been easy prey for you know, drug, alcohol, something else, other forms of addiction. And so that, that would, could have been my path. So when I hold up, think about salvation, I, I'm, I'm protected. I'm thankful for what God has saved me from and is continually saving me from. And then also know the word, the sword of the spirit. Uh, know this book, understand the, the scriptures and, and, and memorize verses. And those are really good and helpful, but also... You know, jump back into that one isolated verse and look for the context and know it and follow it and and learn it. And then lastly, prayer. And certainly not least, (laughs) prayer. He says to to pray at all times in verse 18. He says to pray on every occasion. He says to to stay alert and pray. and, And what that means is it's going to help us to see the things we need to continue to pray about. 
If we're too swallowed up in our own misery, in our own anger, in our own battles, and, and because we kind of walked into them and didn't follow Jesus there, then we're not going to be aware of the needs around us. But as we follow Christ and are at peace, then we recognize and hear about, oh, I need to pray for this friend, that friend. And, and, to, and even if they don't ask you to pray, you see something going on in their lives, pray for them. Stay alert about those prayer needs around you. Pray persistently. Paul says elsewhere, pray without ceasing. And there was an attitude of prayer wherever I am all the time. As I said before, you can pray while you're driving. Just keep your eyes open. Okay? <laughs> and pray for all believers everywhere. Wow, isn't that great? Jesus prayed for us in the Garden of Gethsemane. He prayed for believers that would one day come, and that's you and I. And so that was a pattern that we are to follow in, to pray for believers all over the world, especially those who are going through deep difficulty, for those who are being oppressed. The Christian walk is a journey that includes struggle, battle, betrayal, disappointment, hardship, and loss. The cunning and deceptive tactics of the enemy will try to convince you that there are easier, pain-free paths you can take. This is a lie. And this is exactly where our greatest battles are staged, to trust God right in the middle of your pain. Father, may your word go forth from you into us, into our hands, into our voices, into our, into our very hearts and minds. In Jesus' name, amen.